BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As government employees miss paychecks, President Trump heads down to the border. Democrats prep for 2020. And we check the mailbag. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So much coming up for you here on today's clean-shaven episode of The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to all of it in just one second. First, let's talk about how you can save some money. This is an incredibly, incredibly useful service. I'm talking, of course, about honey. What does honey do? Well, here's what honey does. Okay, well, when you go to any normal website, you may want to buy something. But then you search around online for all the sort of promo codes that you can use to get the discounts. Honey does this for you. Okay, Honey makes even Amazon better. With millions of sellers on Amazon selling the same products, how do you know that you're getting the best price? You don't unless you use Honey. As you shop on Amazon, Honey's best price finder automatically compares the prices of millions of sellers that carry the item that you want. Honey even factors in shipping, sales tax, Amazon Prime status to make sure that you're getting the lowest total price. It shows you the best deal every time, even if Amazon doesn't. It's like having your very own smart shopping assistant. Now, I use Amazon all the time. I have like an Amazon Prime credit card. And I use Honey even while I'm using Amazon, despite the fact I have all these great benefits because Honey makes all the products I buy cheaper. We had to buy gifts for my daughter's birthday, which is coming up. And I used Honey, saved a bunch of money on it. Go check out Honey right now. They have more than 10 million people using Honey. Honey has over 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. Next time you're shopping on Amazon, treat yourself to a free upgrade that guarantees you always get the best price. Join Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Ben. That is joinhoney.com slash Ben. Again, joinhoney.com slash Ben. Honey is the smart shopping assistant that helps you save time and money. Check them out right now. Joinhoney.com slash Ben. Okay, so the government shutdown continues apace. President Trump seriously considering the possibility of declaring a national emergency and then quasi-activating the military to build the wall. The reason I say quasi-activating and not just activating is because if the president tries to activate the military to build the wall and moves funding from certain areas of the Defense Department toward building that wall, this will undoubtedly be held up in court. It will not get done. The only way this wall is getting done is if the president forces the Democrats' hand, if he continues to keep the pressure on them with this government shutdown. And the longer it goes on, the worse it is, not for Republicans, but for Democrats. People who don't like Republicans have already made up their mind that Republicans are responsible for the shutdown. But people who like Democrats are going to have to start coming to terms with the fact that it's their own representatives who are telling them that they can't go back to work because they just don't want to spend a few billion dollars on 234 miles of additional border fencing requested by Border Patrol. In fact, if the Trump administration really wants to avoid the Democrats' just shouting about how this is a Trump vanity project. All the Trump administration has to do is one thing, publicly come forward and say, listen, we will take a deal right now in which $5.7 billion is allocated directly to Border Patrol to do with as they see fit. They will make recommendations to Congress and to the executive branch, and then we will just go ahead and take those recommendations and they can use the money. So it's not even about what Trump's personal priorities are. He just wants to do what Border Patrol needs and Border Patrol needs a wall. Today, the Associated Press reports that President Trump is edging closer to declaring a national emergency to fund that long-promised border wall as pressure mounts to find an escape hatch from the three-week impasse that has closed parts of the government, leaving hundreds of thousands of workers without pay. Some 800,000 workers, more than half of them still on the job, were to miss their first paycheck today under the stoppage. Washington was close to setting a dubious record for the longest government shutdown in the nation's history. Now, Again, it's a partial government shutdown. It is not a total government shutdown. All the essential services are still running. If you go to the airport today, TSA will still be there annoying you and giving you rectal exams. If you go to, to, to get your welfare check today, you're still going to be able to pick up your welfare check today. Food stamps are still operating, right? Social Security is still sending out checks. All these things are still happening. It's non-essential government employees who have been furloughed. And then everybody else is still working. And if their paycheck gets delayed by a week or two, which is what's likely to happen, then they will get their back pay. Now, that's always what happens. Everybody gets their back pay. It's not as though people are working for free. Nobody at the government works for free. Asked about the plight of those working without pay, the president shifted the focus, saying he felt bad for people that have family members that have been killed by criminals who came over the border, which seems to me a perfectly rational response. The Democrats want to talk about all the people who are not getting paid for five days while the government is shut down. Trump, I think, is right to focus on, okay, well, you know what? They could get paid. And also, we could have less dead people in the United States. And when folks on the left say, well, 
immigrants to this country provide less crime than homegrown Americans. That's mostly true of legal immigrants, not necessarily of illegal immigrants, kind of hard to measure because most states don't actually keep track of illegal immigrant crime. Seriously, it's an amazing thing. If you ask how many murders have been committed in the state of California by illegal immigrants, there's no actual hard statistic on this because the state of California refuses to keep such statistics. With that said, should there be even one crime committed by an illegal immigrant? The answer, of course, is no, and certainly not many crimes, and many crimes are committed by illegal immigrants. Trump visited McAllen, Texas, and the Rio Grande on Thursday to highlight what he calls a crisis of drugs and crime. Here's President Trump at the border talking about how we absolutely need a wall. There's going to be some death if, if we don't have a wall. Look, this is common sense. They need a barrier. They need a wall. If you don't have it, it's going to be nothing but hard work and grueling problems. And by the way, and death, and death, a lot of death. I want to thank you. You do a fantastic job. Thank, thank you, Mr. You President. Much. I appreciate that. That's really good. Thank you very much. And you can see Senator Cruz down there at the border later today on our radio show. We're having on Senator Cruz to talk about President Trump's border visit. Uh, presumably, President Trump would earmark money for the Army Corps of Engineers looking for billions of dollars in other places. So one of the places would be taking money away from disaster response in Puerto Rico. Again, this is the reason why the president shouldn't do this is because if he takes money away from the from the disaster response in Puerto Rico, the claims will be that he has shortchanged Puerto Rico in order to build the wall. When in reality, all that has to happen here is President Trump needs to keep on the pressure. He did a decent job of that yesterday, right? Going down to the border and pushing more is a good idea. He sat next to the brother of a man who was slain by illegal immigrants. And this guy, I think, gave a pretty convincing case as to exactly why it is that a border wall is necessary. The way he was killed, what my family is going through right now, I do not want any other family, law enforcement person to go through that. Whatever it takes to minimize, put a stop to it, my family fully supports it. At 33 years old, Ronil Singh was cremated and I had to pick up his remains. It breaks my heart. And no one should ever, ever go through that. Media coverage of this stuff, by the way, is utterly extraordinarily terrible. The AP, for example, talks about how President Trump visited McAllen, Texas, and he viewed tables piled with weapons and narcotics. Like nearly all drugs trafficked across the border, they were intercepted by agents at official ports of entry, he was told, and not in the remote areas where he wants to extend tall barriers. Still, he declared a wall works, nothing like a wall. Well, did it ever occur to people that people are smuggling through ports of entry because it is most convenient. The reason they're not walking across un the, the unguarded areas of the border is because they're very far away, meaning that if you extend the wall, you are forcing more people into the port of entry. Think of flow of human beings the same way you think of flow of water. If you redirect the flow of water toward one specific point, then at least you have a choke point. If you leave the flow of water to go wherever it wants on the table, it's going to go wherever it wants on the table. So just because... Most of the water is already moving through a choke point. Doesn't mean all the water is moving through the choke point. The question is how you get more people to move through those ports of entry and also upgrade the, te the technology at those ports of entry. The media keep claiming this is a manufactured crisis. It's not a manufactured crisis. And nothing has been manufactured here. This is, a, this is a long-standing government failure. The federal government has been a giant fail on all of this for a very, very long time, for decades. And President Trump is at least attempting to do something about it. For that, he deserves credit. He only gets full credit if something actually gets done about it. Again, the media coverage of this is asinine. Jim Acosta at CNN is just, he's hilariously bad at his job. I mean, it's as though we in the, in the conservative movement constructed a reporter specifically designed to make CNN look bad. It's as though we went into a lab and we decided to take a few sprinkles of stupid and add it to a, a large dash of arrogant and then just toss it in a weird looking reporter package and put it out there at CNN. That's what Jim Acosta is. So he goes down to the border in Texas and he stands next to a steel slatted wall, exactly what Trump wants to build. And then for some reason, he thinks he's owning the cons when he says that there's no crisis at this part of the border. You think maybe it's the wall you're standing next to, you dope. Here's Jim Acosta. Really, it, it, my favorite part of this, if you can't see the video, Jim Acosta you know, stands at, at the border wall and there's a smug grin of satisfaction that washes over his face at the end of this clip as though he has just come up with a brilliant point nobody has ever come up with before. The Pulitzer is on its way. Here is Jim Acosta at CNN. And here are some of the steel slats that the president's been talking about uh, right here. Uh, as you can see, yes, you can see through these slats to the uh, other side of the U.S.-Mexico border. 
Uh, but as we're walking along here, we're not seeing any kind of uh, imminent danger. There are no migrants trying to uh, rush toward this fence uh, here in the McAllen, Texas area. As a matter of fact, there are some other businesses uh, behind me along this highway. There's a gas station, Burger King, and so on. Uh, but no sign of the national emergency that the president has been talking about. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's pretty tranquil down here. Wow. Is this, you mean it's really tranquil next to the wall? You mean next to the steel slats Trump wants to build? It's really tranquil over there? It is, it's, he's such an idiot. He's so stupid. So President Trump, it, it, so President Trump drops one of the best tweets of his presidency last night. There's this meme that's been going around for a long time. Uh, it was started, you know, a year ago by, by a guy named Harry Catcheterian, but it, it was really popularized by a Twitter user named Neon Taster, uh, who started tweeting out before every Jim Acosta tweet, Dear Diary, <laughs> because everything that Jim Acosta does is specifically kind of his little mash note to himself. And so President Trump picked up on that. And last night, he took Jim Acosta's tweet and he just tweeted, Dear Diary. <laughs> Which is just, that is some high-level trolling. You have to love that stuff. That is well done, Mr. President. I mean, this is why we elected him, right? Not to build the wall. We elected him for tweets like this. That's what we care about. Let's, let's be real about this. Pretty, pretty delicious stuff from the President of the United States. As an added benefit, Jim Acosta hates the Dear Diary meme so much that a few weeks ago, somebody tweeted at him the Dear Diary meme, and he tweeted back at them, F you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's solid stuff. By the way, speaking of media malfeasance, this is a pretty amazing story. CNN is denying, of course, that this is the case, that there is a, a local news outlet, KUSI, in San Diego. And CNN had been calling around to local news outlets and asking them if there was a reporter who'd want to come on CNN and talk about the border issue. Only one problem. The reporters over at KUSI believe that a border wall is necessary because they've been reporting on the actual border, unlike CNN, which has most of its reporters stationed in major cities. KUSI actually has reporters on the border pretty regularly. CNN calls them up, never gives them a call back because it turns out KUSI doesn't agree with them. We'll talk about that in just one second. First, let's talk about how you can protect yourself from tyranny, how you can protect yourself in your own home. When the founders crafted the Constitution, they wanted to make sure you could protect your rights. And that's why they gave you the Second Amendment. That's why they made sure that your natural right to self-defense was enshrined in the Constitution of the United States. The folks at Bravo Company Manufacturing agree with the founders. It was started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago to build a professional-grade product that meets combat standards. BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless of whether they are a private citizen or whether they are a professional. BCM is not a sporting arms company. You've heard me talk about the Second Amendment. I always say the Second Amendment is important, not really because I like hunting, because I don't actually hunt. It's important to me. The reason I own guns is for self-defense and protection against tyranny. BCM believes the same thing. Each component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans to a life-saving standard. They design, engineer, manufacture life-saving equipment. They assume every rifle leaving their shop will be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or soldier overseas. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. Again, that's bravocompanymfg.com. You can discover more about their products, special offers, upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. FG.com. If you need more convincing, find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products over at youtube.com slash Bravo Company USA. I know the founders of the company, fantastic folks. Go check them out. Bravo Company MFG.com or youtube.com slash Bravo Company USA. All right. So this local news station KUSI reported yesterday on CNN, basically ignoring them as soon as KUSI made clear that they actually believe President Trump is correct about the border wall. CNN asked if KUSI would provide a reporter to offer our local view of the debate, especially to learn if the wall works in San Diego. KUSI offered our own Dan Plant, who's reported many times that the wall is not an issue here. In fact, most officials believe it is effective. Now, knowing this, CNN declined to have us on their programs, which often present the wall as not required in other places, like the stretch of the Texas border the president visited earlier today. They didn't like what they heard from us. Oliver Darcy, for CNN's part, Oliver Darcy responded by saying, we've had on KUSI reporters before. We ask on a lot of people, but some of those people don't, don't, want to, don't end up being brought onto the programs. Okay, I have my doubts that a lot of reporters are going to be brought on to actually specifically back President Trump's basic point here, because obviously CNN doesn't support the president's basic point. Democrats, meanwhile, are struggling for a response to President Trump you know, the, the media portray this as though the Democrats are just fine and dandy, everything is cool. The fact is, as the government shutdown extends, their own constituents are going to look at them and say, why are you not just giving the president what he wants? This doesn't seem wildly unreasonable, especially in light of stories like this one. This one from CNN, uh, un inconvenient for CNN. Mexican authorities found at least 20 bodies, most of them burned, 
along a dirt road in the northern state of Tamaulipas, near the U.S. border, officials said. The bodies were found Wednesday afternoon near four charred pickup trucks in a sedan in the rural community of Refugio Hinojoso, near the town of Miguel Elman, federal police said. I know my accent is awful. Several photos provided by police showed some remains next to the burned-out wreckage of the vehicles. Turns out that Mexico's kind of a violent place. Lots of people getting killed over in Mexico. And maybe we ought to, you know, extend our protection of the border so that doesn't cross the border. It's amazing to me how many Democrats will go to the safer areas and not and, and completely neglect the non-safe areas. My business partner actually has a movie called The Arroyo uh, about the non-safe areas of the U.S.-Mexico border. And if you go and you talk to ranchers specifically along that border, ranchers in areas not protected by fencing, not protected by wall, they will tell you that their land is used for trespass by drug traffickers, for, for human smuggling. They will tell you that the, the levels of violence that they've seen in their immediate area is actually really high. There's their vast swaths of, of wilderness land that have basically been taken over by the cartels. I mean, all of this has been known for a really long time. The media just don't want to report on it right now because it would cut in President Trump's favor. Well, meanwhile, the Republicans are trying to figure out exactly what to do because the Democrats have been obviously not very forthcoming. Democrats don't have a good moral response. They just keep yelling about Trump. Right? So Maisie Hirono, who is just an awful, awful senator. She's the senator from Hawaii. She's most famous recently for shouting about Brett Kavanaugh being a gang rapist or something. Maisie Hirono, she came out and said, we don't negotiate with the moral hostage takers. You know, it's really funny. Whenever President Trump says something nasty about Democrats and people like me say, you know, he really shouldn't say something nasty about Democrats. Like yesterday, President Trump said that it was easier to negotiate with the Chinese communists, you know, actual human rights violators than Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And I said, he shouldn't say that. Then the Democrats just say whatever they want and nobody seems to bat an eye. Here's Maisie Hirono calling the president an immoral hostage taker for suggesting that we need more protection along the southern border. He is an amoral hostage taker, amoral because he makes no difference between right and wrong, nor does he give a rip. And he's a hostage taker because he has taken 800,000 federal employees and thousands and thousands of contractors hostage. And we don't negotiate with amoral hostage takers. So basically she's calling the president a terrorist. So the president says, that he wants to ensure that the border is safe, and she calls him a terrorist. And where, where's the media saying that her rhetoric is overheated? It's amazing which rhetoric is overheated. Republican rhetoric is always overheated no matter what, but Democrats literally called Tea Partiers terrorists for years on end, and the media basically went along with all of that. It's, it's pretty astonishing. The Republicans are, are, meanwhile, trying to figure out what to do. So, of course, the president has mentioned the possibility of a national emergency. I've been explaining consistently over the past couple of days why I think that would be a bad idea that would not actually achieve the president's goals, why, in fact, it would just result in maybe a political win, kind of, for the president, but not in an actual win in terms of a more secure border. If like Ann Coulter is not going to sign off on it, nor should she, for example. So here is Lindsey Graham. He tweeted out yesterday that he wanted President Trump to declare a national emergency. Then he said the same. I have never been more depressed about moving forward than right now. I just don't see a pathway forward. Somebody's going to, like, get some energy to fix this. I'm a pretty hawkish guy on powers of the commander-in-chief. You tried to do this under the inherent authority of the commander-in-chief under Article 2, saying, you know, I'm the commander-in-chief. This is a national security event. I'm going to redirect funding for traditional military functions to border security. I would have a problem with that. So the, the bottom line is that, you know, when, when Lindsey Graham says this, I think it's because Lindsey Graham has a close connection with the president. He said, Speaker Pelosi's refusal to negotiate on funding for a border wall or barrier, even if the government were to be reopened, virtually ends the congressional path to funding a border wall barrier. It is time for President Trump to use emergency powers to fund the construction of a border wall and barrier. I hope it works. I hope it works is not a good sign. I mean, can, like, if your doctor, if, if you go into your doctor, your doctor's like, I think that you need a surgery. I think you, you may have cancer. You need a surgery. I hope it works. Buy life insurance now, right? The, the, I hope it works is not something you want to hear your legislators saying, particularly, uh, particularly on your own side. It won't work. And Lindsey Graham knows it won't work. The president is going to use the national emergency thing as, as sort of a last-ditch pull on the parachute. And in case of emergency, pull that parachute and hopefully glide to a political victory. But it's not actually going to work. What is going to work, if anything is going to work, is the president continuing to force Democrats to defend their own positions. Now, what's, what's awkward about this is that for the Democrats, they don't actually have a solid case against the, bar the, war the wall. They don't have a solid case against the border wall barrier. They really don't. I have yet to hear a well-articulated case against the border wall barrier or against additional federal spending, spending on, on the border wall or giving more money to border patrol. 
The Democrats have not made that case. And that's because the only thing that really unites Democrats, the only thing that really unites Democrats is their hatred for President Trump. Just as Republicans during the Obama era were really only united by their hatred for President Obama's agenda, the Democrats are really only united by their hatred for President Trump personally, not even his agenda. President Trump on a very personal level. How much do the Democrats hate President Trump? This much. So Harry Reid, you remember that sleaze, sleaze bucket? Harry Reid, former Senate majority and minority leader. Yeah, the, the, he of the Nevada whorehouse where he grew up. Harry Reid claimed that Mitt Romney had not paid his taxes, if you recall, back in 2012. He suggested that Mitt Romney had dodged his taxes. And he said he had special information suggesting that. And then it turns out he lied. And then when asked about it, Harry Reid said, well, it worked, didn't it? Because Mitt Romney didn't win. Now, Harry Reid said that he and Mitt Romney had differences in the past, but he thinks that Romney's great now. And he thinks that he's a moderate voice the Republicans need. Harry Reid insisted he had claimed Romney hadn't paid his fair share of taxes rather than no taxes and said he was glad he'd raised the issue at the time. But now he says, I think he would be a great foil against Trump. I think Republicans may even allow him to be nominated, to be the Republican nominee. That would be good for the country. It's just... It's astonishing that this is how much the Democrats hate Trump. They hate Trump so much that Mitt Romney is now wonderful. By the way, this is not unusual, right? Four years after Donald Trump is gone, Democrats will look back and they'll say, you remember when there was that Donald Trump guy? And he was so moderate. Remember Donald Trump was real moderate on spending. Remember Donald Trump used to talk about spending trillions of dollars on infrastructure and national health care? Because every, every Republican eventually for Democrats is, is sort of gauzed over in the Vaseline of time. Every, every Republican eventually becomes kind of soft-focused. And you remember when George W. Bush used to work with Democrats? It was a better time, a nicer... It wasn't a better time. It wasn't a nicer time. Democrats were just as awful as they are now. I was there, I remember. Same thing with Mitt Romney. But this is how much they hate President Trump is now they are relegated to whining about the, the glories of Mitt Romney. And it's the only thing that, that really ties together the Democratic Party at this point, which is why in 2020, the Democratic Party is going to come apart again because there are really too many constituent groups inside the Democratic Party. This is the best hope for President Trump's re-election, is for the Democratic Party to start coming apart at the seams again. Right now, they are competing for the most left-leaning point they can make. According to the Washington Times, a bunch of Democrats are basically now competing to set the top tax bracket. Of course, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who's not running for president but would if she were 35, wanted to set the top tax bracket at 70%. Julian Castro an Obama administration cabinet official who also wants to run for president, he says that he wants it to be around 90%. Elizabeth Warren says that she wants it to be well above 50%. So the Democrats keep just kind of ratcheting this thing up. Now, they're never going to implement any of this policy, of course. None of them are interested in implementing the policy, but they have to compete for the most left-leaning person who can rip on Donald Trump. That's what 2020 is all about. We're going to get into the Democratic candidates for president in just a minute because they just made fools of themselves yesterday. First, let's talk about how you can make your business more efficient. So small steps lead to big changes. It's important to think about that entering a new year. It's important to remember that LegalZoom can help you take those steps. Now, I have a New Year's resolution to cut down on my social media usage. So far, fail. But the only way that I can actually succeed in this task is if I take small steps, like when I get home, taking my phone and putting it on the bedside stand and leaving it there for, you know, 10 minutes at a time. With their network of independent attorneys licensed in all 50 states, LegalZoom can help you take the small steps you need to make your business much more efficient. From wills and trusts to LLCs, trademarks, contract reviews, and more, LegalZoom has helped more than 4 million people like you take care of their responsibilities. The best part is that LegalZoom is not a law firm, so you won't get charged by the hour. I love LegalZoom. I've been using LegalZoom for years on forms like wills and trusts and and contracts, but now they actually have an independent team of attorneys who will look over your legal work. Make this the year you finally do the right thing for your business. Visit LegalZoom.com right now for special savings. Be sure to enter promo code Shapiro in the referral box at checkout. That is promo code Shapiro for special savings only at LegalZoom.com. That is LegalZoom.com where life meets legal. Go check them out right now. LegalZoom.com, promo code Shapiro for special savings. So the Democratic Party primary for 2020 is now fuller than a clown car at the circus. Every person and their brother, I don't, I don't want to misgender anybody, every person and their, and their sibling of, of self-decided sex is running for president in the Democratic Party. Kamala Harris is already declaring that she's going to run. Of course she's going to run. The only reason she ran for senator in California is to run. It's the only reason anyone runs for senator in California anymore. Here's Kamala Harris, an awful attorney general in the state of California, an even more awful senator from California, saying she wants to run for president because, as I've been saying for a while, she knows that she has a certain percentage of the Democratic base more likely to vote for her. I'm speaking, of course, of the racially polarized nature of Democratic Party primaries. That's what led to Barack Obama being the nominee in 2008. Kamala Harris wants to bet on running exactly that same gamut. 
Um, that's it. That same gauntlet. Here she is with Stephen Colbert. I, I will say the guest selection on Colbert is just astonishing. The propaganda effect of having late night television hosts dedicate all of their time to Democratic guests. It's, it's so one sided. When's the last time you saw a Republican senator on one of these late night shows to, to be treated with respect, not mocked, like to actually just be treated with respect? The answer is never. And Stephen Colbert has the Pod Save America bros on fairly regularly, from what I understand. You know, it'll be, it'll be a cold day in hell before Stephen Colbert ever would invite somebody from the right, like yours truly, on his program. I imagine the same is true of people like Jimmy Kimmel. Anyway, here's Stephen Colbert with Kamala Harris, who smiles and nods as, Jimmy, as Stephen Colbert asks her if she's going to run for president. Are you going to run for president? <laughs> She might, okay, and she's nodding and smiling. Listen, everybody knows she's going to run for president. Everybody has known she was going to run for president. It does show you the nature of our racially polarized politics that anyone thinks that Kamala Harris is a serious candidate. She has no record in the Senate. She's been in the Senate for five minutes. The only reason anyone is taking her seriously is because she is a black woman. That's the only reason, okay, because Amy Klobuchar has a significantly better record as a senator from Minnesota. She's a much better senator. She's much more likable. She's much more coherent. Nobody's talking Amy Klobuchar. And Kirsten Gillibrand has the same record as Kamala Harris. Nobody likes Kirsten Gillibrand. It shows you the, the I mean, it's a, even at 538. So 538 has a breakdown today of what they call the five groups inside the Democratic Party primaries. And it's groups like millennials and the left and then the party. And then they have two other groups, blacks and Hispanic slash Asians. Okay, well, when you're breaking down your party primaries into ethnic groups, that might suggest there's a problem with your ideology. Now, we on the right have accepted that and, and believe, I really believe this, conservatives really believe that race should not be a factor in deciding whether something is good or true. And if you believe that race should be a factor in deciding whether something is good or true, you're a racist, right? I mean, this is why we discussed Steve King on the show yesterday. I'm going to get to more Steve King in a little while here. But the, the Democratic Party has no problem accepting the inherent racism of their own, of their own party breakdown. And meanwhile, the, the guy who's supposed to be leading among the millennial crew is Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke apparently believes that everything you do in life must be live streamed. So he actually live streamed his trip to the dentist. I kid you not. On Instagram, he live streamed his teeth cleaning and he's talked to the dental technician about illegal immigration policy. I know that's what I do. I know that when I go for a teeth cleaning, the first thing that I do is I ask my dental technician about the budget. I ask him about the federal budget and prioritization of defense spending versus education spending. Here's Beto O'Rourke doing pretty much exactly that at the dentist's office yesterday. So I'm here at the dentist and we're going to continue our series on the people of the border. I'm here with Diana. Hi, I'm Diana. I was actually um, born here in El Paso. My mom is from a small town in Mexico, Flores Magón. My dad was a U.S. resident, U.S. citizen, I'm sorry. What do you want people to know about the border? Um, that it's a beautiful community. We all support each other. We love each other. Um, and it's not what everybody else thinks badly about us. It's, it's actually a wonderful place to live and grow up. Okay, and then he actually live-streamed the part where she cleaned his teeth. Maybe one thing for him to walk in and just do like a little interview, he actually live-streamed the part where he cleaned his teeth. So yesterday, by coincidence, like six months ago, I had scheduled a dental appointment. <laughs> so I did take a little video of myself having my teeth cleaned, and then I told Beto O'Rourke that plaque doesn't care about your feelings. In any case, Beto O'Rourke, you know, demonstrating that all that seems to matter inside the Democratic Party at this point is sort of clickability. That's, that's actually exasperating some Democrats inside the party. This is particularly true with regard to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's long article in Politico today about how AOC is already making enemies in the House Democratic Caucus because all she does on Twitter is self-glorify and rip other Democrats. And so Democrats are saying, like, what's the deal, lady? Do you actually want to be part of a governing coalition or do you just want to be popular? The answer, she just wants to be popular because this is the path to political power now. It's not governing. It's not forming coalitions. Instead, it's just tweeting things. Apparently, the Democrats recruited a woman named Nydia Velasquez from New York, and she's a representative. She also knocked off a longtime Democratic incumbent to win her seat. Uh, she also has Puerto Rican roots, and she's been trying to convince Ocasio-Cortez to stop ripping on Democrats for the past few months. This has been somewhat unavailing. Other lawmakers are ticked at her. Yvette Clark is a fellow New York Democrat. She says, I think she needs to give herself an opportunity to know her colleagues and to give herself a sense of the chemistry of the body before passing judgment on anyone or anything. Representative Kurt Schrader of Oregon said, she's new here feeling her way around. She doesn't understand how the place works yet. But that doesn't matter. She's now the most popular congressperson 
in America among Democrats, maybe outside of Nancy Pelosi, maybe not outside of Nancy Pelosi, shows you why the social media millennial generation is live streaming teeth cleanings for the 2020 race. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is taking it on the chin from the intersectional nature of his own party. So there are members of his campaign staff, apparently, who sexually harassed women. And now Bernie Sanders is being forced to answer for it. He says, to the women on my 2016 campaign who were harassed or mistreated, thank you from the bottom of my heart for speaking out. I apologize. We can't just us talk about ending sexism and discrimination. It must be a reality in our daily lives. This was clearly not the case in 2016. Okay, so Bernie Sanders is being railroaded by a bunch of the folks on the far left who would prefer that you vote for Elizabeth Warren or Beta O'Rourke in the millennial slash far left category of the, of the kind of Bernie bro 2020 Democratic primary. In just a second, I want to get to the, the, the Steve King issue because I have some more words about it. I discussed it a little bit yesterday. I want to talk a little bit more about it today. First, I need to talk to you about how you can make your business better. Do you look around the office and you think, I got, I got a bunch of schlubs working here. I mean, just come on. Well, that's why you need legal. That's why you need ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is going to make sure that you are able to get the best folks for your office. Even if you got a bunch of great people working for you, you just want to expand your business. You need ZipRecruiter. Start the year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates just for you. They have powerful matching technology. They scan thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and then actively invite them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That is why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States. That rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. We use ZipRecruiter right here at The Daily Wire. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire, and you can try it out for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Okay, so I do want to talk about Steve King a little bit more because I have some notes, not just on Steve King, but on the Democratic response, on folks on the left, their response to, to Steve King and his racist remarks from yesterday. I also want to get into the mailbag. If you're a subscriber, you could ask me questions in the mailbag, which is why you should subscribe. Right now, you could be asking me live questions. You could be preparing to have your life bettered. For $9.99 a month, you get the rest of this show live. You get two more hours later today. We are slaving away for you folks. We are bringing you the best in content. The show is basically now an all-day show. Ask my employees. Ask the... Ask Senya, who's getting up at four in the morning and working herself to death just for you. All you have to do is subscribe. Just go there and subscribe right now. $9.99 a month. And for $99 a year, you get all that great stuff. And you also get this, the very greatest in beverage vessel, the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. Look at this thing. Look at it. You could be experiencing the joy that is this tumbler if all you did was just spend $9.99 a month. But less than that, 99 bucks a year. Just go get the annual right now. Also, as a reminder, I am speaking at the March for Life Friday, January 18th at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. It's an amazing event. I'm honored to be a part of it. I'd love to see you out there supporting the most worthy cause in America, advocating for the rights of our unborn children. I definitely hope to see you there. It's going to be a blast. We're going to be live streaming the podcast from there, and then I'm going to be speaking at the actual March. So it should be a blast. I'm really hoping to see you there. Also, make sure that you subscribe over at YouTube and iTunes. We have all sorts of goodies coming for you. Great Sunday specials coming up. So much good stuff coming all the time. Go check that out. We're the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in America. So while the Democrats slug it out over who's going to take the mantle, and it's really about who takes the anti-Trump mantle, there is one basic truth inside the Democratic Party, and that is no one is too radical for the Democratic Party. The reason I bring this up is because yesterday, Steve King got himself in hot water, the representative from Iowa, got himself in deserved hot water for suggesting that white supremacism and white nationalism were not, in fact, bad terms, which is disgusting. White nationalism is racist. White supremacism is racist. They have a long, inglorious, evil history in the United States and elsewhere. And folks like me came out and slammed Steve King. I maxed out for, on, on the federal level in giving to his primary opponent in Iowa. I urged others to do the same. He, he identified Western civilization with white supremacy, which is insane. It's an argument made by the left. The left likes to claim that Western civilization is, in fact, a, a, an after effect of white supremacism, that basically Western civilization was built for white folks, and that anyone who's not white can't be a part of Western civilization, which is why you should tear it down. Steve King seems to be making a similar argument, except saying Western civilization should be upheld by barring people who are not of the proper race. That's disgusting. It's evil, and it's wrong. House Republicans came out and immediately slammed King. So House Republicans, Liz Cheney, 
who's the head of one of the caucuses inside the House Republican caucus. She says these comments are abhorrent and racist. They should have no place in our national discourse. And she's not the only one condemning him. Kevin McCarthy, who's the House minority leader, he came out and slammed Steve King as well. He said that his comments were basically reckless and disgusting. He said that the comments have no place in our society. He said everything about white supremacy and white nationalism goes against who we are as a nation. Steve's language is reckless, wrong, and has no place in our society. The Declaration of Independence states that all men are created equal. That is a fact. It is self-evident. Now, I have a few comments that I need to make about the response by folks on the left to the right condemning King. So virtually everybody on the right as a unit came out and condemned Steve King. And the left had two responses. One, what took you so long? Where were you when Steve King was saying stuff that was borderline for years? And two, Steve King believes all the same things you believe. So those are really bad things. So let's take that second claim first. So the second claim is one made by Chris Hayes. So Chris Hayes tweets out, it is entirely a coincidence that the congressman seen here building a model border wall on the House floor in 2006 is today saying he doesn't understand why white supremacists should have negative connotations. And then he tweeted out a video of Steve King from 2006 actually physically building a model border wall on the House floor. Okay, so here's the deal. A lot of people who agree with you on specific policies may in fact have malign motives or be bad people. This is true no matter which side of the aisle you stand on. Just because somebody agrees with me about tax rates does not mean they are a good person in other parts of their lives or that they are not agreeing with me about tax rates for the right reasons. Maybe they're agreeing for the wrong reasons. But the left's immediate jump to Steve King is in favor of white supremacism and he's also in favor of a border wall. Therefore, if you are in favor of a border wall, it's because you're a borderline white supremacist is disgusting. It is a smear by association and it is logically untenable. The left knows this, but they're not going to stop doing it. And this is the routine that they do every single, every single time with folks on the right. They say, oh, well, you know, you're on the right. You believe X. You know who else believed X? Hitler. It's like, well, yeah, Hitler had a dog. Yeah, Hitler presumably wanted more government spending. So do Democrats. Right? Hitler centralized the economy in Germany. So do Democrats. That doesn't mean they're Hitler. And it doesn't mean they're doing it for the same reason. That, that, that kind of logical trick is really repellent. It's quite repellent. So that, that is point number one Democrats are making that's really dumb. Point number two is the idea, why didn't you catch on to Steve King's routine earlier? And the reason for most Republicans, and I think it is fair to say this for most of the people in the Republican caucus, is most people thought that Steve King was just an idiot. Right? And so they gave him the benefit of the doubt. They thought that Steve King was just a dummy, that he says dumb things a lot, and that when he is trying to articulate defenses of Western civilization, he does so in the dumbest possible way. He may not, that, that he's not a racist. That if there's a way to read his comments, and two ways to read his comments, one that is kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt, and one that's not, will give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, yesterday he said something where you can't give him the benefit of the doubt, and it exposes maybe the malign motives behind everything else that he's been saying for years, right? I mean, that is the case. Now, folks on the left jumped down the throats of people on the right. Why? Why would they do that? After the right says, okay, you know what? You guys were right. Steve King's a bad guy, right? Why, why after that did the left decide to jump down the throats of people on the right? Because the left believes that every individual instance of racism is a proof that all the things are racist. The left are a bunch of people who they have a religious worldview about things like racism. Every ill in American life can be chalked up to white privilege and the evils of Western civilization and white supremacy and racism. And so when there's an actual case of white supremacy and racism, it becomes indicative of the entire civilization, the entire culture, the entire Republican Party. You see this every time there is an actual racist police shooting. If there's an actual racist police shooting, the left immediate, immediately declares that police across the nation are the problem. Police across the nation, this is just indicative. This anecdotal case is indicative of a broad, widespread public perspe perspective about racism. And the nice thing for the left is that this is unfalsifiable. Because here's how it works. The left says an instance is racism. I say, well, you know what? I'm really not sure that that's racism. In fact, I think that you're interpreting that wrong. Then, two years later, there's another incident. I say, you know what? That's a racist incident. The left says, see? See? That's a racist incident. That means you were wrong about that first incident. That means you've been wrong all along. Now, in reality, if you try to say that some things are racist and some things are not, and you try to actually divine which things are racist and which are not, you are more likely to be correct than the person who religiously says that things are racist. Anybody who says that everything is racist is, is making a, an evidenceless religious argument. But if you religiously believe it, then that means that every piece of evidence in your favor becomes yet another brick in your wall of belief. And all of the counter evidence you just ignore. And that's what's been happening. As I said yesterday on, on the radio show, as I said yesterday, there, I, I got notes from people basically saying, oh, look at Republicans. Republicans, they never clean house. And Steve King is just an example of the fact that Republicans are constantly having to clean house because 
Their party is rife with bad people. And my response is, no, that's evidence that we do clean house. You folks on the left never clean house. And so the left says, you guys are, you've had to throw out Roy Moore. You've had to throw out Steve King. You've had to throw out all sorts of bad, Joe Arpaio. You've had to throw out all sorts of bad people. That shows that your party has a lot of bad people. Whereas we, we've never thrown out anybody bad. That means that no one bad is in our caucus. Well, my answer to that is no, there are tons of bad people in your caucus. It's just that you're too lazy, stupid, or wrong to actually throw those people out. And in a second, I'm going to show you the proof of this. Because it turns out that the left has never thrown anyone out for radicalism, ever. The left embraces their radicals. The left has, they don't clean house at all. So the right cleans house on a regular basis, which means sometimes the house is dirty. The left has never cleaned house. To them, this is evidence that the house was always clean. To anyone rational, it's evidence that the house is full to the brim with garbage. That basically the Democrats have been hoarding their garbage for years and never cleaning house. Okay, so here's the evidence. At the same time that Republicans are coming out en masse and condemning Steve King, Al Sharpton is being welcomed into the Hall of Congress by Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, the hottest young thing in the Democratic Party. I don't mean that you know, in a, in a female term. I mean, she's the hot new thing on the block for Democrats. So Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who hobnobs with actual anti-Semites like Linda Sarsour, she brings Al Sharpton, a man who not once but twice was involved in nearly inciting riots or inciting riots in New York against Jews. That guy is welcome to dance with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in the halls of Congress on the same day that Steve King is being condemned roundly and rightly by the Republican Party. So here is Ocasio-Cortez dancing with a guy who once said about Jews that they should pin back their yarmulkes and come fight him and who suggested that there were white interlopers in Harlem. Here she is dancing with him. With the Congresswoman, and I promised her when she comes to National Action Network, I saw she could dance. I would teach you some <laughs> old James Brown <laughs> Okay, and then this is... <laughs> the Democrats never toss anybody out. Never for radicalism. The only time Democrats get tossed is when they become inconvenient like Al Franken because he was grabbing every ass he could find. It's legitimately the only time that Democrats ever get tossed. Otherwise, they're, they're welcome to stay. Another example, Angela Davis, right? She was the Women's March honoree. So at Gonzaga University, I have been banned, right? I'm not allowed to speak at Gonzaga University because I don't meet their Jesuit values. You know who's allowed to speak at Gonzaga University? Angela Davis. You know who's welcomed by the Women's March? Angela Davis. Democrats like Angela Davis. They find her inspiring. Who is Angela Davis? Well, if you don't remember Angela Davis because you're not old enough, Angela Davis is an actual honest-to-God Stalinist. David Harsanyi has a good piece over at The Federalist today talking about this. It says, just as Davis wasn't merely a communist sympathizer, but a champion of the most reprehensible Soviet regimes, she's not merely a supporter of boycott, divestment, and sanctions, Jewish boycotts, but a champion of men like Marwan Barghouti, the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade leader who coordinated suicide bombings targeting Jewish civilians. Yet somehow Davis claimed to be stunned when she was rejected from the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, they were going to give her an award and then they rescinded it. But Sally Cohn, right, who's a, a welcome contributor on CNN, she says that she still stands with Davis because of her fight against the prison industrial complex. NPR described Angela Davis as a human rights activist. She bought the shotgun, Angela Davis, that was used in a 1970 Marin County courtroom kidnapping and shootout that ended up killing a superior court judge and three others. She fled to Cuba. In 1971, the CIA noted that Davis's case had become a Soviet-manipulated international anti-U.S. campaign reminiscent of the orchestrated by communist propaganda efforts made on behalf of atomic spies Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. The CIA estimated that at least 5% of the entire Soviet Russia propaganda budget had been aimed at propping up Angela Davis personally. Now she's a woke leader among folks on the left. And Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib are not only welcome in the Democratic caucus, they are celebrated. Rashida Tlaib has come out in the last couple of weeks and said openly anti-Semitic things. She said that basically there are a bunch of Congress members with dual loyalties to Israel. She is not only well, she's championed. She's championed. Democrats can complain. Tulsi Gabbard wrote a piece yesterday. We talked about it, complaining about Maisie Hirono going after Catholics. Has Maisie Hirono really felt the brunt from the, her Democratic Party brethren? Of course not. Has Bernie Sanders, who did the same thing with regard to Catholicism, felt the brunt from his Democratic Party colleagues? No, of course not. He's considered a front-runner for president. So before you lecture people on the right who are actively trying to clean house about their inability to clean house, you might want to look at the fact that Democrats have never once cleaned house. Not once. It's disgusting. And for, for Democrats to sit on their high horse and then criticize when you do try to clean house is just an indicator 
that in their religious worldview, leftism can never be too radical, but mainstream conservatism is just part and parcel of white supremacism, which is an absolute untoward lie. Okay, time for a little bit of mailbag. So let's go through a couple of questions here. Charlie says, Ben, happy Friday. My better half and I just had a positive but tough talk last night about retirement and savings. Recently, we purchased a beautiful new home here in Pennsylvania. So the next step logically would be kids. She says she wants to have more money in savings prior to having kids in order to be more financially secure. While I understand and respect this, I don't want to be an old fart raising a kid. My view is that you're never truly ready. I'm 5'6 and 33, and she is 30. I don't know what height has to do with it, dude, but that's fine. Her parents are now approaching their 70s. Mine are in their 50s. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Honestly, it depends how many kids you want to have. Uh, I agree that there is no such thing as the right time to have kids financially unless you happen to be extremely well off. But the vast majority of people over the vast swath of human history have raised kids in houses that were living on the borderline in terms of financial security. It turns out that having kids is not really about saving money. And it really is never financially secure to have kids. I mean, kids are extraordinarily expensive. The reason that you have kids is because you're making the world a better place. And not only, I mean, I assume that you and your wife want to have kids. I mean, that's the conversation. But the point that I'm making is that kids are, are not, they, sh- they shouldn't be just a financial function. Now, that doesn't mean that you should be responsible and have kids that you truly can't afford, meaning that you have kids and then you expect everybody else to pay for them. But if it means that you have to work harder, you have to struggle a little longer, you can't retire as fast, I'm not sure that that's a real answer. If everybody waited to have kids until they could afford them, the world would be over in one generation. So if, if you can afford it, meaning that you're not going to go bankrupt because you have kids, then I would urge you to do so because the longer you wait, the harder it is. It also depends how many kids you want to have. I mean, she's 30, uh, around age 35 for women, just biologically speaking. The chances of uh, a pregnancy going wrong go up pretty dramatically in terms of having uh, a pregnancy with, with a birth defect, for example. Uh, so you know, I, I would suggest that you get to work. Lee says, Hello, Jedi Master Ben. What do you think colleges should do to improve their costs in education? My uncle says they spend a lot of money preserving and renovating the older buildings instead of tearing them down and building new ones. My personal opinion of fixing education and costs is we should downsize and merge departments. For example, merging criminal justice and poli-sci. Well, the, the real problem here is that the cost structure is not being driven by overstaffing. The cost structure is being driven by over-demand. So too many people are going to college. Too many people are going to community colleges who don't stay in. Too many people are going to four-year colleges who get degrees in useless nonsense. The fact is that we have, as a country, decided to encourage everyone to go to college, and it's been a stupid, stupid move. A lot of people would be better off going and starting a small business. A lot of people would be better off going and working with their hands. A lot of people would be better off apprenticing themselves in trade. Instead, we encourage everybody to go get a useless women's studies degree at the local community college, expecting a $100,000 job coming out, and it's just idiocy. In fact, an enormous amount of student debt that's piling up is piling up at the feet of people who don't actually graduate from college. They go and they incur a bunch of debt, and then they don't end up with the degree. It's a lot better to prospectively look and say, what do I actually want a degree in? What is my career path? Then just go to college and assume that everything's going to be fine. Federal student loans, by the way, have helped drive up education as well. It is not a coincidence that the price of goods in the United States has been dropping dramatically across the board, except in two cases, healthcare and education. The reason that they've been rising for both is because of increased demand driven by increased government subsidies and funding. And all these places are seeing increased demand because more people can afford to go to college thanks to the government. But that, that also means that there's a shortage of supply and too high a demand and the prices go up. Parker says, Hi, Ben. I'm curious how the hamster fighting money ever passed through Congress. I think that even if someone wanted it, Rand Paul would let the public know about it and that would end it. That, that of course, is a reference to a project I discussed yesterday, uh, a funding proposal for a particular grant to a university study. Well, the, this is the problem with an administrative government. So it used to be that if Congress wanted to fund a study about hamster fighting, then they would actually have to pass a bill saying, I want to fund a study about hamster fighting and then no one votes for it. But instead, because we have administrative agencies, what we do now is we say, The National Endowment for the Sciences requires $2 billion in funding to give grants for scientific research. Who's going to vote against that? Nobody. That sounds great. I mean, it's scientific research. And then we pass the money along to the NES, and then the NES decides, okay, well, we are going to pass out that money as we see fit in grant proposals. That's how that money ends up there. Let's see. Taylor says, do you ever get the ad copy that your sponsors have you read stuck in your head? I find myself thinking about investing in precious metals with birch gold far more often than I'm comfortable with. (laughs) Uh, Well, the fact is that our sponsors are all wonderful, and I am proud to read their copy. Adam says, 
Hey, Ben, you've professed to be snobbish when it comes to music and said that the issue with rock, as it came about in the 50s and 60s, was that skill is replaced with energy. I'm a fan of many types of music, classical, jazz, rock, metal, hip-hop, and others. Each has its place. Sometimes passion or energy can be more important than skill in order to convey an emotion. I also think that things like superhero movies have more of an energy than skill, and you seem to enjoy those for the most part. Do you think that your classical training is what has made you snobbish in the area of music and not in others? Thank you for all you do. Can't wait to read the new book. Well, number one, go get my new book. It's great. The Right Side of History. You can pre-order it now. It's coming out, I think, March 19th. But as far as skill and energy, no, I think that in movies, raw skill actually is a lot better now than it was 30 years ago, which is why movies are a lot more watchable. And bad superhero movies are performed with energy. Like Justice League is a movie with energy and no skill. You know, a, a, lot, a lot of movies have energy and no skill. I don't tend to like those movies. There's a certain amount of skill even to cheesy movies that is required. You actually have to write a decent story. The dialogue can't be too dumb. The art has to be beautiful. Right? That's a pretty good description right there of Aquaman. But the fact is that when it comes to the replacement of skill with energy, yes, energy conveys energy. But it does not necessarily uplift the mind uplift the soul. Again, I, I don't disagree that there's a, there's a time for energy, but I think that the dominance of energy over skill in American society has been extraordinarily bad for the arts. So Daniel says, if you had to pick a philosophy other than theism to adhere to, which philosophy would you choose? Would it be objectivism, utilitarianism, etc.? Thanks, Shabbat Shalom. Well, you know, I, I picked my own philosophy and I don't really like any of the others, which is why I picked it. Uh, so it's hard to say that I'd... Like, I see aspects of truth in objectivism. Uh, in objectivism, I... I sense the, you know, the, the, the basic idea of objectivism, which is that we are all driven by self-interest. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that objectivism go, goes overboard in the sense that it suggests that any decision you make is morally decent if it fulfills that, self, that self-interest. Taking the, the, the kind of basis of capitalism and free markets, that your self-interest must be traded for somebody else's self-interest in order to make the world a better place through markets, and then extending that to your personal life is a really bad idea. You're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices. And yes, that requires you to judge your own actions and the actions of others, not along a pendulum of necessary self-interest. Uh, but there's some good ideas in objectivism about economics. Utilitarianism. I think everybody makes certain utilitarian judgments about things that they want every single day. So there are aspects of other philosophies that I think are true. The reason that I am a theist is because I think that virtually every other philosophy has to base itself on certain fundamental premises about your ability to choose, for example, under objectivism. It's hard to not believe in free will and be a libertarian objectivist. How do you believe in free will without the idea that you have the capacity to overcome your own biological drives to do something? If you're a full determinist, then how do you make that case? How do you make the case that you have the ability to comprehend the universe such that you can make decisions in the world unless you believe that human beings have access to universal truths, not just stuff that's effective, but universal truths? If you believe that, it's hard to imagine how you do that in a world without a God, without a sort of logic to the universe implanted by a creator that we mirror in terms of our capacity to create and choose. All righty. Uh, so let's get to a couple of things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. So my, my daughter, for the first time, watched How to Train Your Dragon, which is a really underrated film. One of the great Oscar robberies in history. People like to talk about Oscar robberies in terms of best picture. So this, this year, I'm sure that it'll be like Green Book or something. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe it's fine. Uh, Death of Stalin wasn't even nominated. Clearly the best picture of the year that I have seen. Not even close. I've said I think it's one of the best pictures of the last five years, Death of Stalin. Um, I think that there are some other movies that have not been nominated. Ballad of Buster Scruggs I thought was really interesting from Netflix. That was not even nominated. Um, But one of the great Oscar robberies of all time happened in the year 2010 when How to Train Your Dragon was nominated for best score. Now, the score is by a guy named John Powell. It is just a terrific score. It's a first-rate score. It was nominated against a couple of other scores. What one was The Social Network. Trent Reznor wrote the music to The Social Network, which is to say he wrote four notes that repeat. It's terrible. It's a terrible score. And yet that one, and this score from How to Train Your Dragon did not. I know people dismiss animated scores. This is a phenomenal score. Here's Here's the flying theme from How to Train Your Dragon by John Powell. Terrific, terrific score. I mean, it, it, it's great. 
Uh, it is such a great score. It was up against a couple. I mean, the social network winning that year. It's not just that the social network winning in 2010 was a travesty for it being chosen over How to Train Your Dragon. It was also chosen over the scores to Inception and The King's Speech. Okay, that's, that's just ridiculous. Which just goes to show you Oscar voters are morons. They're morons. I mean, they, they cannot pick for the, for the life of them. They cannot pick a decent, a decent score. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Okay, so I get passionate about this sort of stuff. You talk about skill or energy over skill. That's a good example. The, 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 first of all, social network didn't even have energy. Yeah, the, How to Train Your Dragon is so great. Every night, uh, I actually, this is our new bedtime routine. I put both my son and my daughter on my back. He climbs up first because he's smaller, and then she smushes him from the back. They climb up onto my back, and I put on this theme, and then I just run around the house. <laughs> and then, then I throw them into bed, and they go to sleep, which is great. Uh, okay, time for some things that I hate. So I know that we are now rebelling against gender norms. Gender norms. We have to rebel against them because they are inconvenient. Apparently, it's now every year there's a thing where people say that this is a thing, and it's not a thing. Okay, just because the media say something is a thing doesn't mean it's a thing. There's a whole article over at People.com about January, because it's January, but it's January. What is it? It's a bunch of women who decided that they didn't want to shave their armpits and legs anymore. January encourages women to embrace their body hair by growing it out throughout the month. This new craze was started by Laura Jackson. Like, what constitutes a craze? Like seven people? This new craze was started by Laura Jackson, a drama student at the University of Exeter in the UK, after she noticed a difference in how she felt when she grew out her body hair for a rule. Right, probably warmer. Right? <laughs> she posted in a selfie on her Instagram account, I grew out my body hair for a performance as part of my drama degree in May 2018. Parents, never let your kids major in drama. She says, there had been some parts that were challenging for me and others that really opened my eyes to the taboo of body hair on women. After a few weeks of getting used to it, I started to like my natural hair. I also started to like the lack of uncomfortable episodes of shaving. Though I felt liberated and more confident in myself, some people around me didn't understand why I didn't shave and didn't agree with it. Well, not everybody has to like your personal behavioral choices. Like, th this is one of my favorite things, is folks who decide to buck certain societal norms and they're like, but people don't like it when I do that. Right, and you don't like the societal norm. That's your problem. Like, people don't have to like your, your armpit hair. Congratulations, lady. So I realize there's still so much more for us to be able to do to accept one another fully and truly. Like, is she being discriminated against? Because of the, like, uh, th this, this new thing on the part of leftists that they get to decide who you are sexually attracted to is astonishing to me. They've done this with regard to transgenderism as well. And they will say with regard to transgenderism, for example, that if you are a man and you will not date a trans woman, this is because you are transphobic. So in other words, if I don't want to date a man who says he is a woman, that's because I fear trans women. So now you're going to dictate who I'm sexually attracted to. God, it. Okay, and this is just another one of these. Okay, well, listen, you can not shave your, your armpit hair. That's fine, but don't be surprised when people judge you and think that you're kind of a kook. I don't know what to tell you, lady. Okay, other things that I hate. So Jeff Bezos is getting divorced. He's getting divorced because uh, he was basically having an affair with the next door neighbor, which is amazing. I mean, the dude is worth what? $144 billion? He's worth $144 billion. And he ended up having an affair with the wife of his next door neighbor. I mean, you figure he has, I mean, he has Amazon Prime. He has access to anyone in the world. He couldn't go within like, with, you know, outside of 10 mile radius. I guess he was ordering from Amazon Fresh. In any case, Jeff Bezos was uh, was sending uh, all sorts of uh, of kind of solicitous texts to this lady. His wife found out about it. Now she's divorcing him. She made the best. You know, people think he made he was a great investor. She made the best investment of all time, right? She spent twenty five years investing in this, and now it's going to pay off to the tune of seventy billion dollars. President Trump hates Jeff Bezos because Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. I kind of like Jeff Bezos outside of his personal life. It sounds like he's kind of a scumbag in his personal life. I feel that way, by the way, about everyone who cheats on their wife. I'm not a fan. In any case, the, the, pres the president doesn't like Jeff Bezos. If he really wants to troll Jeff Bezos today, all he has to do is just tweet out a picture of his prenups. Because <laughs> Jeff Bezos, historic world-beating genius, didn't sign a prenup, and now his wife is going to walk away. Like, how, how do they make this split? Does she get to keep Amazon Prime, and he gets to just keep regular Amazon? Hey, how does that work exactly? I don't know, but it's hilarious. Okay, so we will be back here next week with all the latest. Presumably, the government shutdown will still be going, or maybe there'll be a national emergency, or maybe the world will have exploded, or maybe an asteroid will... I don't know. But we'll be back here, and we'll recap all of it for you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.
The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Sayowitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, um, we'll be talking about a Democrat who has very surprisingly taken a stand against religious bigotry in her own ranks. So we got to discuss that. Also, a megachurch pastor has come out and announced that the Old Testament no longer applies to Christians, which is heretical and stupid. And we got to talk about why uh, over on the Matt Wall Show today. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.